One of the biggest issues with people that are addicted to sugar is it affects our mood, it affects our health, it affects our body in all these amazingly negative ways. It's just completely normalized in our society. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and today's guest is awesome and is going to inspire you. Can't wait for this discussion. Aaron Wathen is a holistic health coach, food abuse counselor, and the inspiring author of Why Can't I Stick to My Diet? How to End the Food Drama. Her philosophy, simply put, health isn't a number on the scale or how we often exercise, but how we live our lives as a whole. As a graduate of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and a food addiction counselor, Aaron was well-versed in the science behind health. As a certified spinning instructor, vinyasa yoga instructor, and classical Pilates instructor, she understood the mechanics of health and fitness as well. Through a lot of trial and error, Aaron found true nutrition to be the missing piece of the puzzle. Aaron, there's more we're going to get into, and in particular, I'm excited about hearing your story, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. So this is going to be a cool discussion. So you know, you're interesting because you had this background. Uh, and I want to just start there. What what put you on this path of the holistic discovery of nutrition? Because I was exercising my brains out and I still didn't look how I thought I should be looking. And I was always on the diet or needing to go on a diet or obsessing about my next diet and asking my husband horrible questions like, does my butt look big in this? And it's just this never-ending mental obsession with my weight. and. I you know, a lot of the reason I had become all those certifications was because I thought maybe if Pilates was the answer or yoga was the answer, then maybe if I got paid to do it, I'd be doing it more. It wasn't until I took a really cold, hard look at like what I was eating all the time, which was a lot of sugar and gallons of Diet Coke, that I realized there's a major problem there. So it was the it was the food. And a lot of the reason I was eating that way is because that's what everybody said was fine when I was a kid. When I was growing up in the 90s, not that I was born in the 90s, but when I was a teenager and going to college in the 90s, fat-free was it. Like It was totally fine. And now we've completely reversed the pendulum. So fat-free is the worst thing in the world. Everyone's you know, ketoing their brains out. So it's a very different philosophy as a group we have now about fat. And I definitely want to spend some time talking, you know, about the keto people and the vegan people. And like everyone's kind of the keto people. They're all everyone's kind of got their own like diet and and fat and thing. And I and I want to spend some time talking about that. So, uh, how did you know where to turn? You know, because as you said, like in the '90s, everything was fat free, and that's what everybody was pushing. How were you able to cut through all that noise and find the science in terms of what actually is working? 
Well, it was a very odd set of circumstances because back when I lived in Manhattan, my personal trainer was one of the first people to get certified by the Institute for Integrative Nutrition or IIN as a lot of us call it. And I had been on their mailing list for 10 years. So for 10 years, I would get these emails from this stinking school. And 10 years, I would just delete them until the day I was said, I'm going to apply. So 10 years. So if, you're, if your list is going to ignore it, just know that eventually someone will say yes. <laughs> and they had a good reputation. I could do it online. Back in the day, you had to go in the city all the time. And that was where I started. And then we got to the section about sugar. And I contacted this woman in Iceland, of all places, who is the leading expert worldwide, not thinking it was going to go anywhere. Just... I think I was feeling very gutsy that day, just wanting to talk to her. Maybe she'd call me back. I don't know. And she wanted me to get on this thing called Zoom. I'd never heard of Zoom. Like I, I hadn't really worked a corporate job or anything professional in 10 years at this point. My daughter was like 10 or 11. I was like, what's the Zoom? <laughs> I had no idea. Now I need Zoom all the time. Because I just wanted to understand it from this woman that was considered to be one of the top experts. And so we were talking and after about 20 minutes, she do you want to apply for this basically like a graduate degree that I'm doing? And I said, I have a master's degree, but you know, human resource management's not going to get me very far in health. She says, well, you know, you'd have, it would take you a lot of work and it would take a lot of you know, effort to get you there because basically I had, a, I had one week to get all my college transcripts, all my graduate school transcripts, letters of recommendation. I mean, it was a nightmare. So she let me into this program she was running to be a food addiction counselor, which is why I had to go to Iceland. So the in my big mouth, I just went and talked to her and then ended up being in one of her program. So that's how that kind of came about because it just seemed that the concept of food addiction is definitely having a very strong impact on a lot of people because it does really follow the 12-step model. But I'd never even heard of it before. And then once I heard more about it and met people from all over the world who were integrating it in their healthcare system, it made a lot more sense for why so many people I knew back here in the States have the hardest time getting off of sugar because they're addicted to it. They, they, they don't even realize it. So that's how nutrition came to play. It's very interesting because when we think about addiction in the traditional sense, most people have this image of somebody that you know, their life is falling apart. They can't get to work because they're, you know, using illicit substances or they're drinking all the time. But what you said is very interesting that you said most people are addicted to sugar and they don't even know it. So, you know, that in and of itself breaks the mold of what traditionally people would think about an addiction. How can somebody who's listening to this figure out if they do have a sugar addiction? I think a really good way to tell is if you don't have anything in the morning except for water, how you're, how you're, how you feel. Because <laughs> odds are by about 10 o'clock, bad things are going to start happening to you. Your head's going to ache. You're going to start feeling really crabby because your body is, it's not, it's not just the caffeine. It's also the sugar. If you keep track of everything you eat for a solid day and then you go and there's tons of apps, you figure out how many carbohydrates and then how much sugar you're having a day and the recommended is 25 grams and you're having, you know, 112. There's a lot of ways to tell, but there's, you know, Overeaters Anonymous tests you can do. There's, you know, there, there's a lot of ways we can talk about it, but a very simple way is if you don't have any sugar for an entire day, how are you feeling? 
And odds are you'll be very angry <laughs> by the end of the day. Because that's what happens to people all the time is they'll send you to help me get off of sugar. I'm like, okay, no problem. Just so you know, this is not going to be fun. I mean, you'll be thrilled by like day five, but like in the beginning, once your you know once your stored stored sugars are are um, depleted, especially days three through five, are going to be brutal. But it's not the biggest deal in the world if you only do it once. The problem is people cheat constantly, so they'll go on it, they'll go off it, they'll go on it, they'll go off it, and then they try to throw an intermittent fasting, which just screws everything up. But you know, when I, when, a classic example is if you've ever been in a Starbucks at eight o'clock in the morning, how many people walk out with these giant frap of things, right? And how much sugar everybody puts in their coffee and just those little things add up. So all day they're eating sugar. They start with coffee, they end with wine or booze at the end of the day, which is sugar. So it's very easy to just keep it fit, to keep that monster fed. So you, you've made me think of two interesting things. One, is you know you said stay off sugar and for a day and by the end of the day as your reserves go down you're probably an angry person. How does that <laughs> how does that person in the morning is my first question. How does that person in the morning because everybody has that kind of statement oh I'm a monster till I have my coffee. How do you differentiate if you know the issues you're having the headaches the grouchiness what have you are related to caffeine withdrawal or that you're not you know feeding that sugar monster? Well, then have black coffee. There you go. You only like it with sugar, right? Okay. You see what I mean? Like it, sugar and the caffeine are always intertwined. So there's a lot of ways people can so have, have black coffee, then have black tea, then have black whatever it is. That, I, I guess my question is, you know, for, you know, is there a way to differentiate caffeine addiction or, or from sugar addiction? There is. I mean, there's a lot of people I know that drink a lot of black coffee with cream it doesn't it doesn't you know jack up their blood sugar it stabilizes their blood sugar but they definitely can take the sugar part out i mean the, you you, know, you don't need to put like you know half a cup of whipped cream and a bunch of sugar syrup <laughs> half a cup of whipped and and then and then caramel sauce my son loves those nasty things every once in a while I let him get one it's gross so you can definitely separate the ingredients and you can still have your tea you just don't need a bunch of honey in it Okay, well that makes sense. And and the next question I have is, you know, you've you've talked about, you know, sugar as an issue, but we really haven't gone into the science as to why. So talk to us about what sugar in excess. I think you said did you say 25 grams is the recommended amount for a day? Yeah, it's the recommended amount and that's even that you really should probably <laughs> not eat that much. Okay. Because the, because the thing is is that that's added sugar. And people always freak out. They're like, what about fruit? I'm like, well, fruit's fine if you don't binge on it. Because there's people that will eat an entire bag of dried mangoes on the drive home from Trader Joe's or Costco. I know because I used to do stuff like that. So if you eat fruit in a normal basis with you know some sort of consistently normal way of looking at it. You're not like treating it like a drug. You're not treating it like a treat. You're just eating a piece of fruit with whatever. But so many of us have an amazing amount of added sugar into our diets and we don't know it or we don't care. And a very good way to have a lot of sugar in your diet is soda, sweet tea. I know you're in the South. Um, <laughs> you know, Any sort of liquid is a really good way to have a lot of sugar in your diet. And high fructose corn syrup is the best way to get it in. 
because it's quick. <laughs> it's genetically modified to be as, as efficient as possible. And you don't even realize you're ingesting it because you're drinking it. So one of the biggest problems with sugar is it, it is the current way sugar is produced. It hits all of our pleasure sensors. It hits all of our dopamine receptors. So our brain is very happy. It's that instant gratification. But as quickly as it gets happy, the happiness goes away. So, and so that's one thing. Secondly, our blood sugar rises, so insulin is sent out. Well, insulin also is the, is the hormone that makes us gain weight. So ideally, our, our blood sugar is not rising and falling all day. Well, mine used to all the time, which is why I had a lot of acne when I had a lot of sugar, which is why I had a lot of cavities when I used to have a lot of sugar. Um, people that have a lot of sugar have a lot of moodiness. According to my husband, I had moodiness. Who would have guessed? So there's a lot of things that go along with sugar. People that have anxiety have heightened symptoms when they're on a lot of sugar. So sugar is not something that quite frankly brings that much to the situation. We just are told that jelly beans are a great idea. So we have tons and tons of jelly beans around Easter. And then we're all kind of strung out on sugar the day after Easter. So it becomes very habit forming. It's in so many celebratory foods. That's one of my big beefs with holidays and not just Easter or Christmas. Is like, if you think about food we all get excited about and we celebrate around, there's always some sort of giant sugar aroma with Valentine's Day or Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. There's always that dessert, there's always the high sugar dessert. And then, I mean, let's face it, the wedding is over when you cut the stinking cake. It's <laughs> always something sugary at the end. So one of the biggest issues with people that are getting sugar is it affects our mood, it affects our health, it affects our body in all these amazingly negative ways. It's just completely normalized in our society. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. So you've convinced me, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, that sugar is not so great. What are some steps people can take to prepare ourselves to get sugar out of our lives? Because for most people, it's in everything that they eat, whether they know it or not. So, you know, this isn't for many something where we're just going to flip a switch and go completely off sugar. So talk to us about how to move through that process. Well, there's two trains of thought. There is the ripping of the Band-Aid, just cold turkey, which takes a certain kind of person. And I personally don't think that works for most people <laughs> because it's too extreme. If you just go and clean out everything in your closet, it's, an, it's just a lot. First, you, you need the awareness of what you're eating, first of all, because so many of us don't even realize, hey, there's sugar in wheat thins. There's sugar in hot dog buns. So staying out of the middle of the grocery store, 
uh, how they're all set up. So processed food, eliminating processed foods are a really good place to start. Uh, drinking more water, less packaged anything is another good place to be at. Being aware of any, adding sugar to anything. Like I've seen people put sugar on fruit salad before. I've seen people put sugar on cereal before. So just being aware of how often the sugar bowl is out. Just those sort of habits that when you add them up, do make a big difference. And then there's always people like, well, what about stevia? What about honey? Or maybe a little syrup. Well, those are better than white flour, but it's still a lot of the negatives of sugar. So if you need that sort of bridge for a while, but don't live, in on, don't live on that bridge because you can live there for five years if you let yourself. So have the intention of working towards the next step. What about sugar alcohols? Sugar, I mean like fake sugar? Like erythriol, those sorts of things. Oh, those are bad news. <laughs> <laughs> They're bad news. Why are they bad news? Well, first of all, they do not get along with most people's GI tracts. I'll just leave it at that. And there are tons of chemicals and they confuse your body. And it's, it's why Diet Coke is so horrendous because it tricks our body in thinking something sweet is coming. So those dopamine receptors get confused. They're like, oh, great, sugar's coming. We love sugar. Yay, sugar. And the sugar never comes. And then with the sugar alcohol, like you, like you call it, we have horrendous, horrendous <laughs> cramps. And then we still are jonesing for the sugar. So at the end of the day, over time, people that ingest a lot of fake sugars end up eating more sugar than if we had the actual sugar. Interesting. I used to be a Diet Coke-aholic. Like it was bad news. I had Diet Cokes all the time everywhere. And there were days, many, many days, where I would bring my kids home from wherever they had to go. And that 4 p.m. Diet Coke, when I would come in the door from you know music class or soccer... It just made me so happy. So that was the last thing I got rid of was that 4 p.m. Diet Coke. And there are days my head's throbbing and I'm like, yep, it's four o'clock. And I look at my watch. I mean, it's just been years. But my body is like, wouldn't it be great to have a Diet Coke right now? I mean, nobody would know. It'd be such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't do anything about it. I'm aware of like, oh, it must be four o'clock. I'm joining for a Diet Coke. So it does take a long time. But that was the last thing I got rid of because I knew it was the most important. So to circle back to how people can taper off these things, the things you don't care about need to go first. I mean, there's a lot of things I don't care about. Like I've never cared about pies. I never cared about you know, a lot of things other people care about. But at 4 p.m. Diet Coke, that one hurt. <laughs> that one really hurt. Well, it makes sense. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't want to give up their 4 p.m. Diet Coke, but hopefully <laughs> listening to some of this, they, they might reconsider. So we spent a lot of time talking about sugar, which I know is a central tenet of your book, Why Can't I Stick to My Diet? So let me ask that question flat out. Why do people have such a hard time sticking to their diet? Because they go on one in the first place. The thing about diets, and I was on a million of them, is we go on them intending to go off. We don't decide we're going to adopt a healthy lifestyle. We don't do any internal investigation as to why we gained weight in the first place. So why would it work? Because if you think about it, there was something not working in your life that caused you to gain the 10, 20, 30 pounds, right? And going on a juice cleanse for a month before the wedding, before the trip to you know Mexico or whatever, 
does not mean that problem has gone away. It just means for a month you were juicing it and juicing it up. So when you come back from the vacation, the reunion, wherever you're at, you're still going to have your life. And you haven't really adopted any healthy lifestyle habits. You just were in a bunker with your juice cleanse. So why would anything take? And you probably drank a bunch of margaritas when you were on vacation anyway. So we don't go on these diets with the intention of truly integrating it into our life. And we also don't address the emotional component, meaning the why, the before we gained, the what wasn't working. So for example, maybe you need to get a different job because your commute's too long because every day after work, you would eat a bunch of Ben and Jerry's. Maybe that was needs to be addressed. I mean, why did you gain the 10 pounds? People will say, oh, it was the holidays. No, no, no. You don't gain you don't gain 10 pounds from a couple of cookies. You gain 10 pounds from a lot of cookies over time, day after day after day. So being very honest with ourselves about what systemic habits and changes we're going to make moving forward in addition to, you know, laying off the Cheetos is why so many of us can't stick to them. You, and that all makes intuitive sense. You mentioned something about doing these juice cleanses or these, you know, one month detoxes. So, I mean, that's a big thing. Like I, I see this all over the place. People are talking about doing these cleanses or these detoxes. Is there a safety issue with, with that? Talk to us about that. Well, I actually am having a bunch of uh, like my like def- like my number one fan types doing my food plan together. I'm calling it a challenge, but it's not a challenge. I'm just supervising them because a lot of people have this on or off mentality when it comes to food. They're good, they're bad, they're on, they're off. When they're never just living, they're never just existing. So, just because some celebrity is not having sugar this week doesn't mean that you should just go off of it. And then when you see her Instagramming her binge meal, or sorry, cheat meal as they call it now, which just makes me crazy, and nothing but Pizza Hut, you don't need to follow them. Because keep in mind too, they're actors or celebrities. They have no idea what they're talking about. So a lot of detoxes, cleanses, resets, they're just current names for crash diets, quite frankly. And I used to do those all the time. I almost ended up in the hospital one time after a juice cleanse. That's such a horrible um, kidney infection. So they can be very dangerous. And you don't lose weight. All you do is just lose a bunch of water. Also have a huge issue with the idea of constantly needing to detox when our body will get rid of a lot of those things on its own. (laughs) But it's just a trendy thing that people are buying into. Got it. So speaking of trendy things, I, we, we briefly touched on this in the beginning. You know, now you, you have a massive industry emerging around you know, paleo and keto and these supplements and vegans. So you know, we have all of these different kinds of... They purport them as lifestyles. You know, like they don't report them, report them as diets. So you know, talk to us about you know, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You know, is there, is there one? No of pressure. The, no no pressure. pressure at all. Is there one of these that you think, oh, that's that's good, or is it is it different for every person? Or is there some dangers in these? Like so, with all of these, you know, big trends in in dieting and lifestyles right now, kind of pull the reins back for us a little bit and, and help us make sense of that. So you're talking paleo, vegan, keto, no, right? All those. I mean, my take on all these things is that. 
there's certain principles that never go out of style with nutrition, right? Green leafy vegetables, high quality meat, quality fats that we know where they came from, not a freaky lab somewhere. Having a lot of water, the less chemicals, the better. Not snacking all day. Like, so those basic core concepts, you can you know, call them pillars, you can call them whatever you want to call them. Everything else is just details. So if you want to call it paleo, you want to call it keto, you want to call it whatever. I never said you had to eat cows in anything. I said protein. <laughs> if you can handle dairy, I personally can't, then good for you. It makes me sick to my stomach. But if you stick to the basic concepts of having a lot of vegetables in your diet, having a lot of quality proteins in your diet, those core concepts will keep you on the right path. If you want to go caveman for a while and see how you feel, cool. A month of going caveman may or may not work for you. But when you do it, do it with someone that knows what's going on. Don't just go rogue because that's when things can go crazy. And then the problem with a lot of these people, as you call them, the keto people and the paleo people, is the diet concept. Even though they say it's not a concept, but it is. Because as soon as you give out the rules to a diet, all the diet people, because I was one of them, we immediately start looking for the holes in the diet. That's why you have the dirty keto people, the people that make nachos out of pork rinds and add cheese whiz. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's a movement. It's a, for real. So why would you need a dirty keto Facebook group with 100,000 people in there or whatever's in it if keto was fine? Because it's a diet. That's the problem. So if we decide we're going to live a healthy lifestyle, does it matter if, it has a, does it matter if our club has a name? So if we identify as vegan or identify as paleo or keto or caveman or whatever's coming around the pike next week, does it really matter? If we have a, a team name, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept, and you know, you mentioned that you know dairy doesn't work for you. You know, if it works for somebody else, great. Uh, you know, you see a lot online, and people are advertising you know, these genetic testings where you can figure out what foods you should be eating or what foods you shouldn't. Or at least that's what they say. Uh, is that something that you would recommend to help people on their journey? Is that something that works, or is that just pseudoscience? I mean, you can definitely try. Like I did the twenty three and Me thing; that was cool. I mean, showed me like a lot of things I already knew about myself. I mean, I'm pretty pale. I just now know how how much pale I am and why I'm <laughs> pale. But uh, I mean, I've I, I don't have I'm not allergic to dairy products. I just I'm intolerant to dairy products. But I also think you know science, if it's real science, is very helpful. And a lot of things can be explained through those sorts of tests. For example, my kid brother when we were growing up always used to say that like certain vegetables made his throat hurt and they made him eat them anyway, like any good, <laughs> good mom. <laughs> so when he, uh, he got t- tested when he was like in his 20s and had his own insurance, he was allergic to all those vegetables. Which my mother felt horrible. So there is something to be said for those sorts of tests. But I do think that we can go overboard. Like the odds of every single person I know that is gluten-free truly having celiac is slim to none. Celiac is actually very, very rare. Being gluten intolerant, meaning you get bloated after you eat a bunch of 
car, a bunch of wheat is a different phenomenon. So going around saying you have celiacs when you just are trying to stay away from wheat, don't misuse the term celiac. That's not cool. People that actually have celiacs. So just just be aware of the difference. Okay. And I, and I do want to kind of circle back to your book a little bit. So take us through the, I know sugar is a big part of this, but take us through the tenets of, of your book and what people are going to take out of it when they read it. Oh yeah, sure. I talk a lot in the beginning about like my story of just being one of those women that was always on a diet and what it was like in my head all the time because I wasn't what you would consider overweight. There wasn't ever a doctor that talked to me about losing weight or what was going on, even with the cavities, even with my skin being a mess when I was in my 30s. And what finally got me to higher interest in knowledge of nutrition and what was really going on, which led me to a lot of the emotional eating issues because I never understood the connection between, well, what's the big deal if I'm talking to my mother on the phone, eating ice cream, standing in front of the freezer? What would that, why is that a problem? <laughs> why, why am I eating ice cream talking to my mom? That is, I'm not an emotional eater. I just happen to be doing this, like whatever. I, it wasn't until I took a cold, hard look haha, with the ice cream that I realized that's not hunger. <laughs> that's not physical hunger. Because physical hunger, you would eat chick- a chicken breast and broccoli. Emotional hunger, you'll only eat chubby hubby. So being able to break those sort of habits in my mind and my body, very, very important to me. So I talk a lot about that in my book. And then I just give everyone like a good old-fashioned food plan. And a food plan is different than a diet in which it's just a way you eat indefinitely. So I have four basic things that I tell everybody to do if you want to just live for health, basically. Um, Know what you're going to eat the night before. Very basic because whenever we shoot from the hip, it never goes well. (laughs) You come home starving, you know, you're you're just eating Tasmanian devil, right? Um, Stick to the outside of the grocery store, you know. You know, you don't need the nut or butters in the middle. Every time you eat, make sure you have protein, carbs, a low glycemic fat. And um, I'm missing fat, protein, carbs. I'm missing something. I'm missing. There's four things. Anyway, um, also when we don't, no, no, stop snacking. Like enough with the enough with the eating all the time thing. Like. I used to eat from four o'clock with my Diet Coke, with a magical Diet Coke, um, until my kids went to bed at 10. Like, why was I grazing for six hours and never really eating dinner? So if we actually have meals and have some sort of plan, we don't need to be eating constantly. So just having very small concepts that just cover a lot of our behaviors is how the book ends. Awesome. Aaron, uh, we are close to time here. And I definitely want to give you an opportunity to share where people can get the book. But before we do, I ask all my guests a single question. And that is, what is your biggest helping? The single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our discussion today? I would say that just be very aware of how important food is in your life versus the people in your life because it isn't that big of a deal. It's just food. 
And when we put food in front of everybody else, we're missing out on an opportunity to connect with others, to make good memories, and to really find out what's going on with ourselves. Because food is not supposed to be the biggest deal in the world. We just kind of made it one. I like that. Outstanding. So now that you are, uh, where can people find out more about you and where can they get that book? Uh, um, all my socials are Aaron Wath and Wellness. And then my book is at Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, and I think online at Barnes and Noble as well. Okay, perfect. So we will definitely have links to everything that you just mentioned so that those who are not in front of their computer can take advantage of that. Aaron, I've enjoyed our discussion. Very informative. Thanks for so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you who tuned in and listened to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast. Most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.